Hello, listeners. I'm Zach, and I'm Valina, and we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to this house was never meant to be a podcast. We're gonna cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And boy, was it hard to get down and just have some free time to be able to just work on this podcast today because we have been swamped with all sorts of just independent things popping up here and there that we have to take care of. And, well, we're just lucky we're able to sit down and actually record today. Yeah, it's been kind of kind of difficult. And even when we had time trying to muster up the energy to do it. Yeah, there's always been something that's just kind of put us off. Like, oh, I had a sore throat one day, and then the other one was like something popped up, and we both had to do it and whatnot. So it's just kind of been a roller coaster of wanting to and not being able to record. So it's a nice change of pace being able to sit down and record <laughs> today. And as it is, we're a pretty sporadic podcast. We mm-hmm. don't really have a strict schedule, unfortunately. It would be nice to be able to do it like every Saturday or every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as it is, we're just going to do it every time we get the chance to. Yeah, because I mean, so. beggars can't be choosers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, we will be continuing with the beloved Tales from the Dark Side series with the episode Anniversary Dinner. And I want to make a little disclaimer at the beginning of this. If you are able to watch the actual episode before listening to our episode, we are going to go straight into it with spoilers because it is is very difficult to not spoil it while talking about it. So do yourself a favor, watch easily one of the best episodes of Tales from the Dark Side. It is worth picking up the season one DVD and watching it since you can't stream it anywhere apparently yeah we were actually looking to see where we could suggest to you guys where to stream it but you cannot stream it anywhere like we were Mm -hmm. lucky enough to just buy the entire dvd series and it wasn't even that expensive we got it like forever ago and it was like you know it was like pretty cheap and it's the entire series i think without the movie because there's a movie of tales from the dark side kind of like the twilight zone movie it's just like four episodes or however many episodes in not even movie form they're just in twilight i mean they're they're just in the normal episode form just in a full hour and a half so it's but just the like fun of it episodes. but the fun of it is that there is a movie budget to those ones as opposed to television budgets normally mm-hmm. so that's where kind of the the big boost of that is for yeah. having movie versions of an anthology TV show where the movie is just more, more episodes, basically, is they have movie budgets now. Speaking of which, this might be a small aside, but with a Twilight Zone movie, they actually remade several of the episodes from the actual TV show. Now, mm-hmm. with that said, was William Shatner in... Um, what is it? The one with the gremlin in it? That's Terror Mile. at 20,000 Feet. Yeah, yeah. Terror at 20,000 Feet. Is he the same actor? Because I know he's in one of them. No, I just... he's he's not in the movie version. He's, oh, he's in not. the television show version. Yeah, because he was in several other episodes of The Twilight Zone. I just he was remember. in two episodes, Nick of Time and Terror at 20,000 Feet. Yeah. Dang it, they didn't have him in the, in, the, in the movie. That sucks. Well, I mean, he might be in the background somewhere. I did, wasn't oh. looking for him when I watched it the first time. But, uh... That's definitely a movie that we're definitely going to talk about down the line. Both of them, Tales from the Dark Side and the Twilight Zone. Yeah, that movie's classic. Yeah, the Twilight Zone one. We haven't seen the Tales from the Dark Side one yet. (laughs) But yes, Anniversary Dinner. If you can watch it 
watch it. It is a fantastic episode. You will not regret it. It has cinematography. That's saying something. Yeah, it knows exactly what kind of a episode it is, and it goes hog wild with it. It is so much fun. It is just amazing. And you know what's even better is that the very first time we watched it is a completely different experience from the second time we watched it. Definitely. That ending, once once you get the big reveal, it makes rewatching it a completely different experience. Like, all of a sudden, now that you're in the know, you watch it with new eyes, and you see all these little things you never saw before. And it's mm-hmm. just really amazing. It's rewarding to watch it twice. Yes. But if you can't watch it or don't want to watch it, we will delve into the plot details so you'll feel like you watched it through us. (laughs) But before I get into the plot, I do want to mention that this particular episode was based off of a short story, like a lot of these episodes are, by DJ Pass. And as far as I was able to find out, this guy is only written this particular story, uh, Anniversary Dinner, which was published in Rod Serling's The Twilight Zone magazine in 1982. Mm -hmm. And of course, about three years later in 1985, this episode came out. But I wasn't really able to find anything else by this guy. So I don't know if he just did other things under maybe a different name. I mean, DJ Pass is clearly not his real name. I mean, the DJ has got to stand for something, right? I mean, they have Mm. like... Stands for disc jockey. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) sure. But that's, I mean, whatever his real name is, I don't know if maybe he was using like a pseudonym a, a pseudonym for that magazine or, it, or what his deal is. So it's kind of interesting and it's really sad that a lot of these episodes that are written by people who write short stories like that, that they are in magazines only and I haven't been able to find them reprinted anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Like Harlan Ellison, for example, he's been reprinted a lot. So if you want to read any more of his stories, you can probably just buy a book with all of his stories in it, or at least half of his stories, because he wants you to buy multiple books. Mm -hmm. But you can always find those in print still. But, like, these guys that publish in an old fantasy or sci-fi magazine how are you going to get a hold of that magazine that, you, you, you don't, don't. Really. and you you can't find them anywhere else like you, this guy isn't he's written one story like that's not gonna be reprinted i i'm not gonna be able to read and the story that this this movie movie episode was based off of and i think that's really sad because there's a lot of episodes based on stories that i would like to read and maybe even read more from the the author and i can't because they're not in print or, you know, they're from a magazine that hasn't been reprinted and it's just really sad in, in one way. But it's also a good thing that otherwise, without anthology shows like this, y- you would never know about this story. Mm-hmm. You know, Anniversary Dinner, this is a great episode and it would be completely forgotten if it wasn't for Tales from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. So I just... I'm just happy. <laughs> just <laughs> happy about that and also sad. Yes, it is a double-edged sword. So anyway... On to the story itself. Now, it starts with a man sitting outside on a rocking chair and his wife is calling his name. So he gets up, goes inside where she is stirring what straight up looks like a cauldron. (laughs) It's like a big pot and it's sitting on an old-fashioned firewood burning stove mm-hmm. at first i straight up thought it was a like a black footstool or a, like a, a stool because like what the heck what is that sitting on but it is literally like an old-fashioned stove mm-hmm. which is very silly that i didn't even notice because 
When I was little, we used to live in a house with that kind of a stove. You would put the firewood into the bottom, you would light it on fire, and it would heat the top because the whole thing is like this black cast iron, and it got really, really hot, and you could cook on mm. it. I mean, we had like a real stove and all that we, we that we used, but yeah. we did use that firewood stove to just like heat up the house. Mm-hmm. But I didn't recognize it. Yeah. It was like a billion years ago. <laughs> to be fair, in the episode, they don't show much of the stove. It's literally just the cauldron mm-hmm. and like the very top of the stove and the chimney. And that's kind of it. Yes. But as the uh, title of the episode will inform you, dinner is very important in this episode and the kitchen features very greatly. So we see the mm-hmm. stove and the cauldron pot very often. So. She asked him, "Oh, did you get did you get enough rest? You you were resting out there." And he says, "No, there's never any rest for the wicked," <laughs> which is uh just pretty funny. Like right away, and here we're gonna sort of spoil the episode for you again. There's two different ways to view this whole thing. Mm. However, we're gonna plunge right into what we took out of it during our second viewing. So with uninnocent eyes, we're going to tell you that this is immediate foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. He is literally saying that he, and perhaps even his wife, are wicked. Mm -hmm. Now, she is preparing dinner, and she asks him to set the table. And he gets really snappy with her. Like, oh, you're always bossing me around, telling me what to do. And he goes to do it, sticks his hands into the drawer. Yeah, he's trying to fish something out of the drawer. And he ends up cutting his hand on, I think, a knife in there. And he gets, like, mad at her for leaving the cutlery just wherever. But it's like, it is in the drawer. That is where it belongs. Why would you get mad at someone for putting it where it belongs? Like, he just went shoving his hand in there. I mean, have you you ever tried to grab a knife out of, like, a place that doesn't have any cutlery? A cutlery organization where it's all just dumped in there. It's horrible. You do cut yourself. <laughs> yes, but I would like look before I just shove my hand into a drawer full of knives. <laughs> I mean, you know. But he cuts himself and he sticks his hand in his mouth and is like complains even more about her like leaving stuff around and is trying to maim him. And I do want to sort of mention that again on the first watch. It's like, gosh, he's so relentlessly mean to her. But Uh on the second watch, you actually see that they're just kind of lighthearted. What he's saying is not nice, of course, but he doesn't really mean it. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of tell by how he sort of easily goes in and out of joking with her or, or saying sweet things to her. Even though, even what he said seems to be mean. So it's very, again, this is one of those things where the first watch versus the second watch are completely different. Uh Uh-huh. But she gets his hand and she sticks it into her own mouth, uh, which is, I mean, I know they're like an old married couple. Their 25th anniversary dinner is coming up, but that's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And she literally says, how can such an old sourpuss taste so sweet? (laughs) what so he goes on to go mention about like her being a good cook which is the only only thing he likes about her he could have had all these women and when she's a good cook to which she responds my mother always said the way to a man's heart is through his stomach (laughs) so after they set the table she serves up the stew they're sitting down, and he mentions that it tastes somewhat empty. And they could just kind of sit there, and she just 
out of nowhere says she misses the children and that the children always added so much. And let me just put it on the table right now. She did not say this after her husband said that the soup was empty for no reason. (laughs) The children added quite a lot to the stew. (laughs) Because this episode, as the relentless puns and remarks about people tasting so sweet will lead you to believe this this episode is about cannibalism yes and i am like no joke despite this this barrage of puns that would make freaking the writers on hannibal be like oh that's not subtle at all i somehow missed that it was about cannibalism the first time yeah it's because of how they deliver it yeah all the stuff that we're pointing out is not really that obvious on the first watch. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all go in and watch. We all watch Hannibal. I mean, yes. I assume you watch Hannibal, of course. <laughs> we all go in watching Hannibal knowing that he's a cannibal. I feel like it's impossible to not immediately know that going in. But that makes all the puns just more obvious. Like, you don't even have to see Hannibal doing anything wrong. You know he's a cannibal. And you know everything that comes out of his mouth is about him being a cannibal. Mm-hmm. And he is not... Shy about uh, it. Shy about it. He says it like every episode that he eats people to the to, to like the faces of the police looking for him and no one bats an eye. But here, you don't know that at all. This just seems like a like a sweet couple and they're not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she wishes she had more children and he says, honey, who knows? Stranger things have happened. And he winks at her. And this is this is a time where he goes from being kind of a jerk to being super sweet. And again, they clearly do love each other. Like this kind of fake bickering that they have where he's always complaining is very, very lighthearted. It's clearly the way they behave. But again, on the first watch, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah. And that's uh, not by like accident either. Mm-hmm. This episode is very, very clever with just its subtlety that first time around it becomes obvious in hindsight Mm -hmm. it's fantastic yes so they start laughing at the table because she says oh you're such a dreamer and you see on the outside of the house two people approaching while they're inside the house laughing Mm. and then it just cuts away so the next morning you see the woman oh her name's eleanor by the way uh her husband calls calls her l and she's sitting outside on a chair with a bowl of I'm not sure what in her lap, just breaking them in half. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that it must be some sort of a nut. Or it looks like, like a... string. Be- it looks like, be- like it looks like green beans. Yeah, maybe she's like breaking the little stem thingies off of them or leaves. Disconnecting I... them from each other. It They're making too loud of a snap for it to just be like taking the I don't stems know, Maybe off. she's prepping tamarinds. You know what? Maybe know. that's what it She's <laughs> breaking some weird thing in half. I don't even know. And these two dudes appear. There's a guy and a girl, and they are both. They have both have these like bright orange backpack thingies, yes. like the hikers. These are the stereotypical like adventure backpacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he comes in there, and he's like, "Oh, do you know where the way to the Andersons' house?" And she's like, "Oh, the Andersons. Why do you want to go over there?" And he's like, "Oh, so we don't have to spend another night in your orchard." <laughs> and the old lady's like, "Uh, it's kind of more polite to ask to stay in someone's property." beforehand and not afterwards and he's like well who's asking and she's like kind of taking offense at this and his girlfriend or the girl there i'm not really sure if they're boyfriend and girlfriend i think i think it's supposed to be in the episode description they're described as boyfriend and girlfriend so i'm gonna go with that okay but she kind of realizes that this is a rude thing for him to be saying so she says well we heard you guys having dinner and we didn't really want to intrude on you guys so we just thought it'd be cool if we just slept outside in your your garden (laughs) 
So Eleanor mentions that there is nobody at the Anderson place. The place has been empty. Why do you guys want to go there? And the girl says that it's because they have friends waiting for them. So they're expecting to meet someone, even though Eleanor says, of course, there is nobody over there. But if you guys want to come stay with us, you can stay here in exchange for doing chores around the house. And she she clearly, considering the last conversation, wants these young people around, even though one of them is kind of a jerk. And he proves himself to be an even bigger jerk when... What, slopping the pigs? Sue! <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, and like Eleanor looks so hurt when he says this. And he just, like, so mean for no reason when she's offering them a place to stay because she knows no one's over in that other house. Mm-hmm. And after he's, like, yelling sui at the top of his lungs, Henry comes out... Oh, Henry is the name of the husband. Yes. Um, Henry comes out with a shotgun. Yes. And he's like, hey, that's a lady you're talking to. Cock's gun. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, blow this dude's head off. And of course, Eleanor is like, oh, you know, you're overreacting. And she's able to convince Henry to not murder the young man. So the man decides to stomp away and he tells the girl to follow him. And she's a little bit hesitant. Eleanor tells her, Hey, you know what? If you need to come back here, you can. You're welcome here anytime. But maybe you should think about improving the quality of your friends. <laughs> to which the girl kind of like yeah. nods a little bit. She's like, yeah, I kind of know that. And then she takes off. But as they're walking away, the scene is shot. So that way you see them walking through the underbrush. But included is a chopping block with an axe on it so it's kind of to the right of the screen above both the girl and the guy as they're walking away Mm. and of course this is not accidental and it's also a really cool way of saying that they're gonna die Mm -hmm. so it turns back to eleanor and she just mumbles to herself I hope she'll be all right. And then it cuts to the next scene, which is Eleanor cutting meat on mystery meat. yeah mystery meat in her kitchen on a cutting on, on a cutting, on a good cutting board. So, and this is kind of interesting considering. Now we're gonna kind of build a little theory up later, so we're gonna point out weird things. But this is one of these kinds of odd details that we picked up on. So she's cutting the meat, and she's clearly having a hard time of it. Mm-hmm. And Henry picks up a little piece of it and he complains that it looks tough. And she mentions, oh, Johnson said it was a prime cut. And she's clearly disappointed because it's not a prime cut. And this is the very first mention of Johnson, who we'll find out the identity to later. But we do not know what kind of meat this is. So... We are, we are left knowing uh, what kind of people these are to assume what kind of meat it is. So she starts talking to her husband about the girl. She's like, oh, she looks just like one of the children. Maybe it's just because she's so young and sweet. <laughs> and this is, of course, the second time some human being has been described as sweet. The first time being her husband, who she was literally sucking the blood of. So we already have established that sweet is in reference to the way someone literally tastes. So, you know, more more cannibalism. Yes. So Henry is told by Eleanor, 
hey, go down to the wine cellar and turn the wine casks because they make their own wine. And he says, you know, I really wish she would come back. So we're going to have a female around here that's not bossing me around all the time. Mm-hmm. And she just smiles and shakes her head. She's not bothered by the things he says for the most part. And a few minutes later, the girl comes in and she introduces herself as Sybil. And she mentions that her friends weren't at the Anderson, so her and the other guy, whose name was Mark, took off. However, she didn't really want to stay with him because he was a jerk and she didn't really like him. So she decided to come to the old lady's house because she invited her over and said, you are always welcome here. And she looks a little bit awkward. And then the lady, Eleanor, realizes she was staring at her. So she says, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Forgive me for staring at you, but you look just like one of the children. And Sybil's like, oh, I didn't have children. Do they still live with you? (laughs) And she looks away and she's like, well... In a way, they do. Your children never really leave you. They become a part of you. And again, knowing that this is about cannibalism, this makes a whole, this sentence here takes on a whole new meaning, right? Because otherwise, this sounds like a really sweet and kind of sad thing. Because clearly, this old lady is missing your children, and this this girl looks just like one of them. Mm -hmm. But that's not exactly the case here. There's a little more diabolical intentions behind this statement. (laughs) Exactly. So she says, oh, you've been on been on the road for a long time. How does a, sa- a shower sound? And she's like, oh, that sounds lovely. So she marches off. And keep in mind, when she was cooking the food a few minutes ago, she's also, again, got the cauldron stirring with a bunch of soup inside. And there's a cute little transition where the camera kind of dips into the cauldron of soup and it kind of pulls out and you're looking at all three of them at the dinner table with the soup. So it's, it's kind of cool. I liked it a lot. Most of the transitions here unsurprisingly have to do with food. Mm. So there's usually food going into a scene. So whenever there's like a scene change, the first thing you see in a new scene is, is usually food. So Henry, of course, mentions that he hopes the punk doesn't arrive. And Sybil assures him that he isn't, that they broke up. And Eleanor tells him, be nice. Uh, Sybil's had it really difficult ever since she ran away from home. And (laughs) she has this just amazing exchange with him where she says she hasn't seen her parents in two years. Two years, huh? And their faces speak so much more than these words imply. She's, mm. I'm going to try my best to describe this here. When she says she hasn't seen her family in, or her parents in two years, she dips her head slightly. She's almost becoming conspiratory with her husband while the person she's talking about is still right next to her. And when she says this... Henry's face kind of lights up a bit. His face smiles a little bit more. And he says, two years, huh? And it's, again, the first time this is completely innocent. And the second time, this is hideously threatening. Because (laughs) what they are exchanging is that no one is going to know where she's gone and they're not going to miss her. That is the information that they are sharing in this moment. And it is tons so well like i didn't catch it the first time it's only when you (laughs) see the ending that you realize what kind of relationship these two i mean really have here and what they're planning and it's it's so good so when she mentions to her husband that 
oh, I was telling her that she reminds me of one of the children. That kind of makes him agree okay, she can stay. Because on top of the fact that she's not going to be missed and no one will know where she went, we also have this, she reminds me of the children, kind of planting it, she's just like the children. And when we find (laughs) what the children actually represent to them, it's him agreeing to something very, very specific. And that's not just letting Sybil stay in their home. Mm. So Henry mentions... That we should show her the playroom. So it's a place he built for the children. So they go into this room and it... It's a, it's a secret door. Yeah, it's a secret door. Like, it's got like a secret panel uh, that you... You, like, press it and press apart on the wall and then it unlatches and opens up. Yeah, and it is this dark room. I kind of mentioned it. It's like the only kind of slightly bothersome thing <laughs> in this episode. Let's go into graphic detail. <laughs> the lights are off, okay? The lights are literally not on and you straight up cannot see anything. And this girl is acting like she's seeing Disneyland for the first time. She's like, oh my god, it's wonderful. It's unreal. Oh my god. And it's like, dude, you can't see anything. I can't see anything. What are you talking about? You can like see the faint outlines of like taxidermy animals on the walls and like the glimmers of the blades of like hunting knives and machetes and stuff like that you can barely see (sighs) exactly barely barely see that and it is literally dark so i mean when you're watching something and it's actually that dark i am assuming she is seeing as much as i am seeing which is almost nothing Mm. and like again she's acting like this is the best thing she's ever seen But she cannot see a thing. So, like, it is ridiculous. So, eventually, he turns on the lights and her enthusiasm dims because now she can see it. But it is a room filled with taxidermied heads. There's, like, a boar. There's a deer. There's other things. But there's also a bunch of guns, shotguns on the wall. Hunting rifles. Hunting rifles and stuff. Like, I don't know what kind of gun they are. But... There's also a bunch of knives kind of artfully in a little arc on the wall. Yeah. So they're sort of spreading out, like, rays outwards mm-hmm. in, like, a kind of an arc, like a half circle. It's, I mean, it's pretty cool, but it's very artfully done. And there's, like, a giant spa in the middle of the room. I mean, it's, like, a, up against the side, but it's basically in the, it's, like, the centerpiece of the room is this yeah. big tub. And they say, like, uh, Henry built this for the children. And she's like, oh, my gosh, a hot tub. I'll go get my suit. And she just runs off. And Henry flips the switch on and it isn't turning on. And this is the very first time we actually start seeing them bickering for real. Because Mm -hmm. everything that we have seen previous with all Henry's kind of nasty remarks have been lighthearted. I mean, they sound, yeah, they're, they're, they sound nasty to us, but when you see them interacting, it's very much nothing between the two of them. But this scene serves to show what their real bickering looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's really sharp. Their voices change. Their their body language change. Their their words become a lot sharper, right? I mean, mm-hmm. They're not saying mean things, but they're saying them a lot more angrily. So she's mad. I thought I told you to fix that. It's just a, it's just a loose wire. I, well, then why didn't you fix it? Because it's just because loose. Because it's not broken. It's just loose. Yeah, and he just kicks the spa literally until it starts working. <laughs> the Melmac touch. <laughs> yes. And Another Alf reference yeah. for you. Yes, watch Alf. It's good. We love these old shows. <laughs> so it starts working, 
and the girl comes in. She's got like a towel on. She's like, "Oh, I got my suit. It's a little, it's a little bit small though." And the husband, <laughs> good, he's like, "Good." <laughs> it, it's really funny. It, it was just kind of like a funny little remark. But uh, she gets to the tub. And Henry and Eleanor get very excited. They're like, oh, this is just going to be like old times when we had the children. This is going to be such a great anniversary dinner. (laughs) And that's where the scene ends. With them kind of like looking at each other happily, holding each other's hands. While right behind them, Sybil is in the hot tub. And I'm not really sure what this might signify, but there is a taxidermied deer head, like, above Sybil. I don't think it's actually like a deer head. It's probably one of those deer knockoffs that you see in other countries. What? <laughs> you know, like elk and uh, some other elk deer. Here? <laughs> I'm elk saying, like the I'm saying deer-like animals, something in another country because it doesn't look like the North American like huh. deer species. I don't know. It it's looks more gray. woolly and yeah. squared. But I think I do have an idea of what that scene's supposed to represent. Hmm. Keeping in mind the angle, this is a deer head. Mm-hmm. It's cut off at the neck. Yeah. The only part we're seeing of Sybil sticking out of the swimming oh, pool is up her, her like her neck up. <laughs> so she has the taxidermy cut off. Yeah, she's being equated to the deer in this scene. Exactly. Okay, cool. Because that, yeah. There's definitely, like, all, all these shots have reasons for sure. We it just feels so them nice out. to be able to look at a shot and think, they put thought into this. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's just really good. So the next scene after this one, it has all of them, all three of them sitting outside, and they all have something. She's, I don't think Henry Eleanor is peeling potatoes. Peeling potatoes. Okay, thank you. She's got a bowl of potatoes and she's peeling them. Henry is, of course, not doing that. But Sybil, she's just really super happy about the hot dog. She's like, oh my gosh, I was in there for hours and it only felt like minutes. And Eleanor's like, yeah, it's addictive. And right behind Sybil, as it turns to face, as the camera turns to face her, there is the axe again, right behind her head. (laughs) And again, very purposely placed. Chef's kiss. Yes. And here we have Eleanor mentioning about her anniversary dinner. And Sybil's like, oh, it's your anniversary. That's so great. Oh, I wish I could give you guys something. And Eleanor's like, oh, no, you just being here is a present enough. (laughs) (laughs) And Henry starts grumbling about their butcher. I'm going to sue Johnson. And, of course, here's Johnson again. And Eleanor's like, oh, don't be complaining about stuff. And he's like, no, he's a horrible... He's, a, he's horrible. And Sybil, of course, is like, well, what's so bad about him? Is he, you know, is he butcher? He's like, yeah, but he's like a horrible one. You know, he ruined the meat. And Sybil's like, wait, how does he, how does he ruin the meat? How do you ruin the meat? And then he's like, well, you kill them wrong. And he has like this kind of odd monologue about no living thing wants to die. And that if you make But without them- death, we can't live. <laughs> yes. So if you are going to kill them, you need to kill them, not necessarily humanely, but they can't be afraid because fear poisons the meat. And it's an odd kind of a thing, considering that this couple is clearly cannibalistic, that this is their take on it. So we'll get back to this a bit later, but... But tuck that away in your brain But tuck that away. (laughs) So... 
they mention, uh, Eleanor mentions that she's going to be out and buying the fixings for their anniversary dinner. And then that Sybil is free to sleep in as long as they want because they'll be gone in the morning because uh, they have to go into town. So Sybil, in the next scene, she wakes up and, of course, they're gone. So she goes immediately to the hot tub. She's like, heck, yeah, I'm going to the hot tub. So she goes down there. And as the hot tub is heating off, she finds a hidden door. She notices that because the walls are made out of wood, but they're like vertical wood planks. So it's really easy to see where there's cuts, where there's a door or a cabinet. And she sees that there is like a square in the wall. So she's like, okay, that's cool. Clearly like a cabinet or something. So she goes and presses it, and it opens, and there's, like, a CD player. It's not a CD player. It's a record player. A record player. There's a stack of records above oh. it. Oh. It looked heck of modern, it's, though. It's, it's not very modern. I mean, that's it's not... It's an 80s piece of audio technology. Oh. Like, not that or, not a piece. It's, like, three modern, things, but... but... But, yeah, it's a record player, and it's got some kind of classical music in there. It's, it's a, like, blast. and free. It's a, stock royalty stock free. Stock royalty free. Actually, most classical music is stock royalty free. Yeah, I mean, unless it's done by, like, an, as, like, a cover, you know? Yeah. So she's blasting that music, and she goes to the other side of the room where she sees another cut in the wood that looks like a little door. And she notices that this one has a lock on it. Like, mm. a, uh, like a little golden, golden lock, lock set into the wall. As she's touching the wall, the lock... Henry bursts in with Eleanor and he's really mad. He's like, get away from there. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. You know, he runs over. Once she moves away from that wall, he moves over to where the CD player is, or the record player, I mean. Record player. <laughs> he moves over there and says, no one's allowed to touch this. Get out, get out. And he's all mad. So she leaves and she talks to Eleanor. She's like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. Like, I didn't mean to touch to make him mad like i just wanted to go to the hot tub like i'm really sorry i didn't mean to ruin your anniversary and stuff eleanor's like no don't feel so bad he just doesn't like his stuff to be touched but he didn't ruin anything he's just really sensitive about this kind of stuff and she's like oh i feel so bad i feel so bad and she's like oh i promise you it's nothing um i'll be right back let me talk to him and she leaves and sybil looks to because she's in the kitchen right now and she looks up and she sees there's like a giant spoon on the wall just kind of like mounted there, I guess. So it's notable because you'll see it again. Mm-hmm. So she turns and Henry comes in and he's got this bottle of sherry and he pours her some. He's like, look, I didn't mean to get so mad. You didn't ruin our anniversary or anything. It's just that sometimes I, I can get real angry at times. You know, it's just kind of a knee jerk reaction. So he gives her that and he's like, I just want you to have fun. It is our anniversary. So here, have some sherry. You can get back into the hot tub and I'll set the music up for you. So she does. So she takes the sherry, which she loves. It's their homemade stuff. And she goes back into the hot tub. And so the scene where she's now in the hot tub, there's a small bit of a time jump because Mm. she is now wasted yeah she's completely hammered (laughs) and so and she's got this like empty glass of the sherry in her hands or mostly empty but it's clear she's been drinking for a long time and she's just kind of happy and giggling and like uh eleanor comes in and she's got a bunch of vegetables in her hands and she's like here honey like here's some vegetables here's some pool snacks pool snacks and she just starts dumping them into the water <laughs> and, and she's like, what are you doing <laughs> like oh the water won't hurt them and she's just like Sybil's just like giggling. She's hammered. So she's having the time of her life. She's having a whale of a time. Yeah. And Henry comes in there with like a barrel of that of that sherry. And they're like, oh, do you want some more of that? And she's like, oh, yeah, of course I want some more of that. But he like not 
going to dump that into her glass. Because there's just no yet. little like spigot. On yeah, this not this is not a, uh, a a barrel that you dump directly into a glass. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Eleanor returns with bags of the vegetables, and she starts dumping them in there. And Sybil just starts like laughing her head off. She like yes. grabs like a piece of broccoli, and she's just laughing, laughing, attempting to eat it, but can't take a bite because she's laughing too mm-hmm. hard. And she, like, takes, like, another sip of a little bit of sherry that's left, and she just kind of, like, passes out. And I I do want to mention here that when I first watched this, I thought she was straight up drugged, but, because I didn't really realize that alcohol could have that much of an effect on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't drink, so I, I don't actually have any first-hand Keeping experience. Keeping in mind, but... this is an important detail, too. Alcohol and hot tubs do not go together. Alcohol makes your body react less to the heat of the hmm. swimming pool and it will bring up your body temperature incredibly high. Hmm. That can make you have heat stroke really oh. quickly. So odds are her laughing made her really lightheaded and the heat stroke that's starting to set in basically made her pass out. Because of that, she probably drowned once she went into the water. Well, she for sure drowned when she went into the water because she pops up face down a <laughs> two seconds later. And Henry and Eleanor, of course, are just okay with this like they're watching and then eleanor is like oh okay you can put that wine into the water now it's about time so of course that's what the the barrel is for so he just starts dumping it into the water and she she gets that big old spoon and she starts stirring it and he takes a sip of it oh this tastes delicious which i need to add this right before anyone says anything it is still water at this point yeah you don't make there's not enough wine water like you make a soup with broth that's a broth. That's I mean, I guess it depends on how long you cook it for. You can make broth out of some meat that you put into the water well, for a long time. they have to be time. boiling that girl for, like, hours to make that water into a broth. And the sad thing is, is the, the vegetables would be highly overdone by that point. Yeah, they would. And and the suit's gonna, the swimsuit's gonna ruin the flavor, I think. They, no, no, no. I think as soon as she's unconscious... They need to take the swimsuit off so it doesn't taint the flavor. No, I, I think it's already been soaking in there. It's kind of like if you have like a no, roast. but if, if you no, get no. It high enough in temperature though, that's gonna that's gonna make it smell. That's gonna make it what? taste bad. It's gonna make the broth taste bad if you overcook I, something like synthetic fibers. I don't think so. It looks like a cotton bathing suit. It doesn't actually look like. Oh well, if it's cotton, then yeah, yeah that's probably fine. Yeah, because it, it didn't look like it was actually <clears throat> like see, spandex or anything. natural material is much better to cook uh-huh. meat in. But either way, the cooking here is just a no-no. Like yes. you don't cook with that much water. Like you use a, like a stock. They should have been dumping tons of like bouillon in there. Bouillon, to definitely. Make that into like something tasty. But like wine would probably be good in there. But oh, or definitely. sherry, I guess. No, but it was not... wine. She said wine specifically. They made. She even oh. mentioned earlier the wine casks. Oh, okay. The casks. So they were dumping that in there, but they should have been dumping bouillon. I and there just, wasn't nearly enough vegetables. I'm no, just going to say that. No, they needed tons more vegetables. Oh, yeah. They need to clear out a farmer's market mm-hmm. to, to get enough vegetable for the amount of broth. Yeah, and notice- if they're making a stew, then that, that's a really hearty soup. <laughs> but noticeably, they did not add any spices, dude. They oh. needed salt. Oh, that's they a big no-no. They needed pepper. Dude, they could have been adding all kinds of stuff. They did not. That was nowhere near ready when he took a sip out of it. Mm-hmm. Nope, not ready at all. And this isn't the ending. We're going on about their uh, cooking skills, but <laughs> the ending is in is about to come upon us. She mentions that, oh, I think we should share it with the children. And then they go over to that cabinet that Sybil had not opened, how she just looked at it. Mm-hmm. They, they pull out this big old gold key. Mm-hmm, that matches the lock. They open it up. 
And inside are, I want to say there's like three or four shelves. No, two or three shelves. But there are six skulls on the shelves in total. And Eleanor says, I love having the children for dinner. <laughs> and that is how the episode ends. Now, oh, it's such a good one. Uh, it's so good. Now, there's so many questions that you're left with. And... <laughs> It's a one-two punch of just insane twists at the end. Yeah. For one, you find out that they're cannibals. And again, we point out all these like little puns and stuff, but it straight up was not obvious the first time around. Like, mm-hmm. we kind of act like it's like super, super obvious, but like it's obvious up wasn't. in hindsight. Yeah. And I feel like one of the biggest things that they do to hide this actually is having Henry be so mean to his wife. So mm-hmm. these puns don't really hate you because you're kind of more distracted by him being like a jerk the entire time. So you think, mm-hmm. and this is the way I took the episode the first time around, was I thought that Eleanor was going to like snap and kill her husband or something because i think i mean you do realize that there's building up towards killing the girl i mean that's not lost but you're thinking that maybe she's gonna turn on him or something yeah because normally you have some kind of antagonistic figure in these kind of anthology shows where there is an object of antagonism and with this episode there wasn't really that like obviously henry is kind of antagonistic but he is not the antagonist right Mm. like he is something that would break someone into doing something bad. That's the kind of thing that would make someone snap and do something or be a trigger for something to happen. Yeah, and we've seen that in other episodes with, like, the nagging wife, you know, uh-huh. causing people to, like, do horrible things. So this was just kind of like that. This sets up that expectation that she was going to snap and on him because he just can't stop saying mean things to her. Uh-huh. But, again, that isn't what happens. So, like, it, it it sets up your expectations so much in one direction that you you kind of miss the very overt. They are both in on this kind of thing, right? So, by the time they're, like, eating her... I mean, not that you see that, but that you kind of do. You realize they've been both in on it the whole time. And that's why the second watch, it's sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah, so Now your third eye is open yes, and you're seeing everything Exactly. Now. So you realize that all of their, like, bickering, or rather his, like, kind of insults were not really... They didn't hurt her like you thought they did. Like, they, mm-hmm. they do once. He mentions when Sybil's saying, oh, 25 years, that feels like forever. And he's like, oh, it sure does. And she actually does look a little hurt by that. He's... He, I think the exchange was, oh, it's 25 years is a long time. And he says, it feels like forever or yeah. something along the lines yeah, of that. Yeah, I thought Sybil said it feels like, that seems like forever. Because she's like, what, 20? I mean, that would be 25 years would be like her whole life plus the sum. Yeah. And then he just like agrees in a very nasty kind of way. And that uh, hurts uh, that Eleanor's hurt feeling a bit. her feelings. But that's like the only time she seems actually affected. Otherwise, she's usually just kind of smiling and like going along with it. Like she doesn't say mean things back. But she's clearly okay with what he's saying. And because he can usually transition right into being very sweet without changing his tone of voice, mind you, it does make you realize, again, on the second watch, that... This is just how he is. This is just how he is. It's how he just talks to people. Mm -hmm. It's probably just his form of a joke, but he says it's so deadpan, it's hard to not think he's serious with it. Yeah. And again, that's the point of the middle scene with the, uh, the spa them actually bickering their their voices do become sharper their body language is a lot more combative they are no longer in this kind of joking meanly joking state mm-hmm. and another thing that this sort of leaves you with besides okay just mentioning 
having the rewatch is like totally different. There is the question of the children. Yes. Now, Zaki, if you can explain to me what you think the children are to the couple, because I feel like that's a little bit vague here. You know, when I initially watched this, I had the idea that maybe the children were actually their children that once they reached like a certain age or whatever, that they ate them <laughs> and then just waited for the next one and to get that age and then ate them and so on until they ran out of children. And <laughs> then that's like, oh man, I really do miss having the children. But seeing it now, it's very easy that they could have been like definitely like serial killer cannibals, right? <laughs> and then each of their victims are their children. Though I do like to believe that there is a ground zero victim <laughs> that is their actual child that they ate. Because the thing was with that is it kind of seems like, oh, I do wish we had another kid. Hey, you never know. Stranger things have happened. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That line kind of feels to me like maybe they were parents at one point and then they ate their kid. And then after that, it's kind of been like a weird mental thing where everyone they eat is their child. But I do feel like that name didn't come out of nowhere. Otherwise, it'd have some more sensible code word for that. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's weird, too, because all of the skulls are the same size, right? And they all mm -hmm. look like adult skulls. So none of them were actually children when they were killed. And but to be fair, would you want to eat a child, like eat a human being prematurely when there's not that much meat on them? That is true. Or would you want to wait until they're their maximum size? Maximum size. Their maximum harvest, yes. you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's made abundantly clear that they did eat the children. Yes. Now, what's weird is that they keep them in that room. Now, considering that this room is also filled with hunting trophies, I feel like that lends a lot more credence to that they are serial killer cannibals, and these are just people that they've killed and eaten. Maybe mm -hmm. one of them is originally the child, their actual child, but perhaps the rest of them weren't. Mm -hmm. And again, because it's set in the, tr the trophy room... This kind of leans more into that. So maybe Sybil will end up joining them on the shelf there. I would hope so. Yes. <laughs> now, another thing that we pointed out, and this is... this. We're getting into the juicy conspiracy points right now. <laughs> yes. This is the meat of it. Yeah. This no makes, pun intended. Yeah, it makes me very, very regretful that I can't get a hold of the book. Uh -huh. or not the book, but the short story, so I could, like, see if there's any real credence here. But... I'm wondering if this whole town is not cannibals, okay? And I, I want to mention this because of, first of all, the very first thing is that the fact that the Andersons that Mark and Sybil mentioned at the very beginning, the Andersons' place, that is, is, is empty, according to Eleanor, while they claim that there should be people, their friends, already there. But when mm. they go there, they are, they're gone, right? They leave. Now, I am wondering if those kids were actually there and this guy who's mentioned, Johnson, the butcher who ruins the meat, is not actually someone who's killed them and has butchered them. Because we, we do see uh, Eleanor cutting the meat and having a hard time with it. And later on, we see Henry, now, of course, talking about that same meat because it was mentioned that that was from Johnson, being angry that he kills them wrong. Now, he takes a very personal offense to this. Now, considering he's a hunter and he knows no animal wants to die and they shouldn't be afraid, that maybe Johnson is like them. 
he took those other kids and he killed them, but he did it in a way that made them terrified, right? He killed, he murders them, right? So they die terrified. They get their meat and it's gritty and it's bad because it's been poisoned with their fear. Yes. And again, it's very specific that he says the fear poisons the meat immediately after, I mean, not immediately after, but shortly after the scene where that meat is clearly bad only to later at the end of the episode go out of the way to make sure that Sewell is not afraid when she's killed to be eaten. Mm-hmm. And it's, I didn't mention this when I uh, described the scene, but Henry, when he approaches with a keg of wine, Sybil, she's kind of giggling. She's like, I'm not afraid of you, Henry. I'm not afraid of you anymore. And then he's like, oh, honey, I never meant to make you afraid. I want you to be happy. And that real kind of gentleness, like, I never meant to make you afraid, Go again, goes into that he's not trying to scare his victims. He wants them to taste good. Therefore, he's not going to poison their meat with their fear. And this is in direct contradiction to how he views Johnson, the butcher's mistakes, right? That Johnson scares his maybe victims, <laughs> maybe animals for the slaughter, maybe both. I mean, humans are animals, I'm just saying... <laughs> Yes, but they're not meant to be slaughtered for consumption, so... That's up to the interpreter. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's no, up to it the ain't. interpretation. <laughs> so it makes me wonder, just these little scattered things, makes me wonder if this whole town isn't full of people who are committing cannibalism on the reg, and it's just that he's not pleased with it because he doesn't do it correctly. And again, he takes, like, moral offense to this. So it, ma- it makes me wonder, right, that even though they are in fact killing and eating other human beings, that they don't want them to die f- afraid. Because, and I do want to mention that, even though, of course, you don't kill and eat people if you're not a psychopath. <laughs> mm. But he did mention that no living animal wants to die, or no living thing wants to die. He does, I don't think he actually says animal, which is important. <laughs> but no living thing wants to die. He does have sympathy or empathy for the things he's killing to eat, right? Mm. And that includes people. So he doesn't want the people he is killing and eating to feel afraid from a, a very twisted, mind you, moral standpoint. So it makes, again, it no, makes No, you can me say wonder. he's humanitarian. Well, sure. But... It, it describes how he's like and his diet. No, he doesn't go out of his way to help <laughs> anyone. So he's not a humanitarian in that sense. He's a humanitarian. He's... <laughs> He is with eating. <laughs> so it, I don't know. There's probably like, there's no, there's not really any support for this, but just these little hints here, I'm going to take and run with it. Because... I want to say that it's more likely probably a, a, a very close knit, like ring of cannibals mm-hmm. where they have like their dealer, right? The butcher. And then we have those who indulge in cannibalism themselves. Maybe mm-hmm. not always wanting to go and get somebody. But somebody who does delight in the consumption of human flesh. (laughs) So, yes. So, now we have those two possible revelations out of the way. My very last question here, Mm -hmm. which we really like discussing in pretty much all episodes of cannibalism, because it's such a thing that occurs, is cannibalism is often portrayed as an addiction. Yes. So that's very, we. it's always, not not always, but it's often portrayed that way and we like discussing it and how and why that's a thing. But here, it's not necessarily portrayed that way. So, or maybe it is and we are missing it. So, Zaki, my question is why? 
are they committing cannibalism? And this doesn't have to be like necessarily why are the characters doing it? Although that's of course part of the question. It could also be why is cannibalism the topic here outside of maybe shock value, right? Mm -hmm. But why cannibalism? You know, I'm not 100% sure myself because there's clearly that if we're going off of the previously established theory of there being the ground zero eating their child, it's possible that considering where they live is this weird kind of mountainy area that they have to hike through apparently with the mm -hmm. with the two hikers they had to hike through there with some heavy duty camping gear these people are far removed from society one bad snow day you're trapped for possibly months now it's possible again it's not like you see snow in the episode but it is possible that they got stuck in the cabin and say either their kid died and they didn't have food and they ended up eating the kid and that's their gateway into cannibalism but why continue eating them? Because that would be an act of desperation, not necessarily the start of a addiction outside of Freddy's nightmares, which we don't have and desperately want. <laughs> I was going to say, it's also possible that they ended up just Wendigo psychosis when the minute a survival situation comes up is the first thing they think of is cannibalism. Oh, like Bear Grylls and having to drink his own pee. Exactly. <laughs> So what ends up happening, say they can't get the door open because a little bit of snow, they immediately turn on their child and eat them. And then they're like, you know, this ain't half bad. And then they, they're like, hey, let's call up some butchers and see if anybody is, you know, in the market for long pig. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it gets started like that. I can't say for any amount of, of certainty if either of those are the case, but it does seem like this is the kind of environment that might lead towards something like that happening. Maybe. I feel like we're not really shown that this place is too extreme. I think it is probably far removed just because she says, oh, we have to go into town. That's usually not something you say when, like... It's right there. We, yeah, when, like, Walmart's <laughs> right across the street. So <laughs> it's probably quite a rural area. I mean, they do have, like, a specific butcher. I feel like, where do you actually have an actual butcher you go to? If you have a supermarket, you don't go to a butcher. You don't know your butcher by name. Like, in a rural area, you actually, you might. I mean... In a rural area, you know everybody. I mean, put it this way. <laughs> in the town we used to live in, that had these the old wood burning stove. We did have a butcher we went to. I mean, I don't I didn't know that my name I was a little kid. But <laughs> you do have places like that. It's a lot smaller. There isn't a Walmart. There isn't mm -hmm. even a freaking McDonald's over there. There still isn't. <laughs> and As far it, as we know. No, we actually went there like a couple years ago. There's still no McDonald's. Oh wow. Yeah. It is it is not it is not remote. Yeah, it is it has nothing over there. You know when it's untainted oddly, by major chains? It it did it's have rural. a subway though. It had one subway, and that was it. Huh. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> so they are probably very likely rural. I don't know how extreme, though. So, I, I'm going to take but, the hiking gear is probably very no, no, no. extreme but without a vehicle. they're hitchhikers. They were mentioned to be hitchhikers. So yes. their hiking gear doesn't necessarily mean that they needed it to survive in that town. It just means that they're hitchhikers. Yeah. They don't have a car of their own. All their stuff is on their back because she ran away from home. So they're basically homeless. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to necessarily take that as an indicator of their environment because it's more of an indicator of their personal lifestyles. Uh -huh. Also, if the butcher is in fact a cannibal, that also leans out of it being an act of desperation. Because why would the whole town be in on it? And yeah. of course, 
because that doesn't necessarily carry water. That doesn't exclude the extreme reasons because we don't know for a fact that Johnson is eating people too. But if I was to go off of that, I would say that does exclude extreme environments. Now, but I feel like because she keeps mentioning them as her children, I almost want to say considering the fact that the girl Sybil ran away from home, there's this kind of idea of a family separation, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, Eleanor mentions that your children never never truly leave you. They remain a part of you. I feel like maybe there is, like, the reason for cannibalism in this is to keep people together. Hmm. That she didn't want her family to leave, so she ate them. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily the case for all the children, you know, if that's just ground zero. And then everyone else is, oh, I really like this person. I want to eat them. Because notice, Mark didn't get eaten as far as we know. Or he wasn't eaten by them. It was Sybil they wanted over. It was Mm. Sybil, the one they liked, that they wanted to consume. So it's this idea, maybe, that the reason for the cannibalism is to keep people that they love with them forever. You know, I totally, I totally buy that. That sounds exactly like something they would do. Now, funny you brought up Mark, because I was going to mention something about Mark. Mm. I don't think he makes it out of this alive. Because of the There axe. is an axe over both of <laughs> yes. them. And the idea that, that, you know, he's with an axe and then he stays over where his friends disappeared. Hmm. And then we don't kind of don't again. see him again. <laughs> and we hear more about the butcher. And all of this stuff kind of leads me to believe he probably also gets killed and eaten. Hmm. Just not by them. So, That's the possibility. Because if you want to go off, because that axe really was over the both of them. Mm-hmm. And considering that Sybil has like a specific axe next to her head indi- you know, individually, kind of does suggest that the first one was for the both of them. And this one's just her own personal her death coming closer so and then that of course would go more into the whole town as being you know cannibals in there that kind of horrifically implies that he died a very terrifying death mm-hmm. because johnson the butcher likes his meat to be gritty and rough and full of terror when well i dies. don't think he likes it like that <laughs> i just think that's the best he can do I think that that he's not putting the effort in you mm-hmm. know which Everyone's leads got me a hot tub which leads me to a question of whether or not the the mystery meat that they're cutting up is the friend that Mark and Sybil were supposed to meet. You know, I there's I mean clearly there's no way of knowing, but I 100% want to think that <laughs> because it's just I mean this whole episode is about cannibalism like like they they went out and bought cow meat. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. that's not beef. But the thing <laughs> is is that's probably human meat, right? Mm. But the question is is that the friends meet the one they were supposed to have found and didn't and coincidentally the two old folks just kind of know they're not there mm-hmm. yeah so that kind of tells me maybe that is that friend that they were trying to go see because coincidentally the people who are eating mystery meat say they're probably not home mm-hmm. so honestly i'm going to straight up agree with you because I, I, I like my little pet theory here, so I'm going I'm to keep it. I mean, I feel like it just makes too much sense, particularly because it's just immediately later tied to Henry going off on the butcher 
scaring his living things, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever those things are. The livestock. Them. Yeah, scaring them and ruining the meat. And then, of course, later making a huge point to make sure his victim is nice and happy and relaxed when she dies. Uh-huh. So I feel like that's likely human meat. And if it is human meat, it's almost guaranteed to be the Andersons or the friends who are living over there. It's, like, guaranteed to be their meat. It's the unity of character right there. That's exactly. not introducing useless characters that don't come back into it at some point. Exactly. So, great conservation of detail. So. Exactly. And then the second question is kind of an interesting one. Hmm. Do you think that the wine and the sherry are made from, like, human... <laughs> yes. from are they, are they human product? Considering... It is possible, at least from Hannibal, yeah, Hannibal, that you can make alcoholic beverages from humans. But the question is, are they doing that? Clearly, they're homemaking their wine and their sherry, apparently. And both of them are eerily brown. Mm-hmm. So, now, <laughs> I I have no idea if sherry can or can't be brown. Like, again, I... All I, the sherries I've seen are, like, dark red, kind of red-purple. Yeah, but we use, like cooking sherry right so i don't know what that's all the sherry sherry. i've seen (laughs) so so i don't know what drinking sherry would look like and i'm assuming i mean there's this clearly drinking sherry i don't know if it's made out of people but like i straight up wouldn't put it past them and i mean considering hannibal how he straight up does put human blood or whatever the heck he puts in into not only his wine but his beer too i'm gonna say that that's probably made out of people there's at least Mm. some amount of people in there yeah, especially bringing that up with like they they home make everything. They go to the butcher and get their human meat, and then they cook with that too. Really, the only thing that seems to not be made of human meat is the vegetables. But we don't see bones. That's probably going in the garden, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, for real, like <laughs> mulch pit, you know? Yeah, like all of, all of the uh, the human waste products that they don't use, they just put as like compost. For yeah, the vegetables. So even the vegetables have like a little bit of human in them. <laughs> like, uh, it's all fun and games until you get a carrot with a tooth in it. Oh god, <laughs> secret window. <laughs> and then the final question. The one that I feel like is a very interesting one, given cannibalism stories in general. Addiction is a one recurring theme. Mm -hmm. Another recurring theme is sharing the cannibalism. Thanks, Hannibal. So my final question is, are all of the children accidentally cannibals because they are being fed human meat by the the main cannibals, right? Like, so is Sybil eating the friends that they were supposed to have gone to meet in that mm. stew. You know, oh, man. And are they intentionally doing that? That's a good question. I thought we were going to mention, like, is she eating the friends through the sherry? But, like, that would be a no, because it. I think that would take longer to make, so it, it probably isn't them. But the stew, you do, in fact, see her eating. So, I mean, you do see them cooking the meat, too. And that was before she arrived. So if she's eating meat in that stew, it's made out of people. So, (laughs) but then, like, oh, you know what? I just thought of something that might shoot a little hole in our theory. Hmm. The fact that Henry at the beginning, well, this is before they, this is before they were cutting up meat, mind you. Mm -hmm. But he does say the stew feels empty. And then she says, Oh, I miss the children. They added so much to They're it. probably making that stew without meat in it. Or at least mm. not human meat. And then the second time they make stew, it's with the tough meat. 
the one that was scared. So it's quite possible that it's not human meat, but that could just be because they hadn't gone to the butchers yet for the meat and it was just bad. So Mm -hmm. it was empty. I feel like the second time the second time they made the stew was pro. Well, I mean, it could have meat, but they're just like this. This just ain't human meat. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just not filling that hole. (laughs) True. So that's, hmm. Well, Which then gonna... kind of leans more to addiction, right? Because you can't g- eat anything else. Well, but it's not really addiction. It's more like a treat like that a, they haven't like had a in a long time. fairy food kind of thing? No, because that's almost addiction. You eat a fairy food, you can't even leave fairy world, right? Yeah, but they can't eat meat anymore. But they, but they do, right? It they feels empty, like it right? Much. It's empty, not gross, right? Because if you eat fairy food, everything else tastes like you're eating like garbage dirt. or dirt. Yeah. So it's not like that. This is like literally a like a treat that they haven't had in a while. But it does seem to cut into their enjoyment of normal food, though. Yeah, it does. Like whenever there's not humans involved, they don't like the meat as much. They don't like the food as much. It's just that it's just that elevated meat, you know. It's the other other white meat. Mm. <laughs> so I feel, I feel like to answer the question. Sybil probably is like accidentally a cannibal that way because honestly, if she was eating that stew with that meat in it, if that stew was human, like which I like to think it is, she's probably accidentally a cannibal. And they probably did the same thing with the previous ones. But you know, it depends though, right? Because we don't know the circumstances that they got the previous children. So it's possible that each child, or I say child, they're probably all adults, but they might not have had another one before it because that seems to be to have happened a long time from then right so it seems like when they were eating all the quote-unquote children that was almost all in a similar time period like a period where maybe they had a lot of human meals back to back right so they're kind of like wistfully thinking about it while their 25th anniversary dinner is coming up and keeping in mind they clearly there is a difference say johnson the butcher is serving them people there's a difference for them between what they buy from the butcher and simply having the guest over that they're going to eat later and i feel like that's someone almost like maybe a ritual that makes the meal so much more enjoyable that's what makes it have that place in their hearts that they look so fondly at because they do refer to them as their children right they have a bond they're not you're not gonna just buy like like a pound of beef from the butcher and say my child right uh even if that was a human being it's still so detached like i don't even know what animal it is like it's just the red blob inside this little plastic thing but like if you were to invite that cow into your home and then kill it and eat it, then you're going to feel a little bit more close to it. I couldn't do that. That'd be horrible. That'd be my pet. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, we're not serial killers. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they had enough of the human beforehand to feed to the next one or if there was enough of a time difference between each child so each of them weren't eating another person mm-hmm. or if, say, Johnson the Butcher is, in fact, a humanitarian, <laughs> was were they feeding them that? It's impossible to know. But I would like to think that at the very least, Sybil was in fact eating human beings. Yes. And I I like the idea that their butcher is what like a fast food meal is, right? Mm-hmm. And then their children are the big home cooked meals. Yes. So it, they're not going to celebrate every time they eat human meat from the butcher, right? Because that's just like, well, you know, you could have also got pork too, Mm-mm. but it's not that special. They don't just ask the butcher like, hey, can we also get the skull from the person that this was so we can put it on our shelf? <laughs> yeah, they, they, don't, they don't do that because it's not a trophy. They didn't earn it. It's not a big thing. It's not commemorating a big thing. 
it's just business. Mm-hmm. They got to get their human meat fixed somewhere. But with the big things, right? That's when they get the big special things. And I kind of want to believe that not all of the children were eaten on like anniversaries. Yeah, that just was there a... might there might be some Christmas dinners, there might be some Easter dinners. It's not all aligning with special holidays. Yeah, because if they get those kids, if they're just random hitchhikers, because I don't know if they go out and get them right. Because I mean they mm. are older, so even if they did go out and hunt for for humans... yeah, because they only had six. Yeah. If they'd been doing this for 25 years, each anniversary dinner having a person, then there'd be like 25 skills yeah, in that show. Yeah, they'd be more active. Because we do know he's a hunter, right? So he, mm-hmm. he does go out and hunt. But had he done that for humans? Or was that just a rare, like a very rare special treat? Sort of like, mm, I don't know about anniversaries. I mean, it could be. Or it could be like a very special occasion. So I'm not sure if that would be every Christmas. Because think about it. That's 20 years. So they've been married, or 25 years. They've only killed and eaten six people. So they either freeze the meat and save it so they have a whole lot. Because, I mean, a human being is pretty big. I don't know how much. Oh, that's a lot of meat. That's a lot of meat. So if if they just froze it and saved it, you know, they might have a lot of meat for, like, maybe a year or so. I don't know how long meat lasts in the freezer. But... They could have it for a good long while. Yeah, I hear you like people kill bucks and whatnot and they, they have that meat for like months and months and months. Mm. And, and humans have a lot more meat on our limbs than a deer does. So well, we'd have a little more I meat. I feel like a, like a deer is huge and probably has well, a lot of meat. Well, deer is all stomach and torso yeah. and neck and that's kind of it. Their Isn't legs are just... Eat, though, you eat like the their legs are something you'd pick your teeth with after eating the body. No, they have haunches. It's quite a lot of meat. Yeah, but it's like so little. You're thinking of a gazelle or the something. The hawks. Dude. Have you seen an elk? Like, like you know, ham hawks or they're like kind of that spot, like a forearm kind of yeah, area. You wouldn't eat their forearm. I mean, you yeah. could actually eat their forearms. Yeah, but, but there's like... so little meat on that, though. They have like their haunches. You're not going to eat the shoulder meat much. There's but not much there. But dude, think about it like this, but, though. But humans have if a lot we... of meat on their arms no, no. and a lot of meat on their legs. Dude, no. Look Look at a deer. Look at the size of it. It doesn't matter if it looks like it's skinnier. That thing has tons more meat. If we were to be on our four legs next to a deer, that thing would tower over us. There's no way we have less or we have we have more meat. Yeah, but they have like the legs like a corn dog. Or it's like all of it's up here and then the bottom is a stick. No, that's we look like that too. But... They also do a lot more physical activity. So, like, look out a picture of an elk of or, or any other kind of deer. But we're getting besides the point. The point is, is a human would last for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, that's guaranteed a couple months. If, yeah. you, if you plan it, you know, make sloppy joes the one weekend with that. human meat and then... But if you <laughs> saved it for special occasions, it could last longer, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So but you... you don't want to freeze something for too long because yeah, then it stops tasting... Gross. Yeah. It, it gets kind of bad. And then it tastes as, as if you, you might as well have just scared it before killing it. Because then the freezer burn just makes it taste terrible. But ultimately, I feel like with this whole cannibalism aspect of this episode, it definitely feels like with them that getting somebody to eat is the occasion. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that this was like the stars aligning <laughs> yeah, for right. them to have an anniversary dinner mm-hmm. with their favorite meat. Yes. And I feel like that's kind of the angle of that. It's not like every five years they get somebody and have their anniversary dinner every five years. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is a special occasion for each time they get a new child, right? Mm-hmm. 
So that's kind of where I think that whole scheduling is for eating human meat. Mm-hmm. And one little thing I kind of want to mention before we close on out is I thought it was very cute that she had that ridiculous cauldron that she stirred the meat, the, the stews in. Yes, the cannibal because- cauldron. Because it is literally a miniature version of the giant hot tub that she uses as a, as like a as a pot too. Yes. So she's always stirring that little cauldron thing, and then we have like the hot tub, which looks like a, it's a big of a large version of it that she stirs with a bigger spoon. Uh-huh. It's just really kind of funny. Like she's always stirring the pot. Uh, <laughs> just so many little things in this in this episode, I just love, and I just pick up on more every time I watch it. It's just it's so good. It is such a great episode. So, Valina, where would you rate this episode on the five-star rating system? It's getting five stars. This is a good episode. (laughs) We have our highest rating so far. I don't think so. I feel like I might have given something five stars No, I don't think we've given anything five stars yet. Really? Except this one. I'm going to look at that. I have this. This is is definitely something that would make Gordon Ramsay's mouth water. This is an episode that would absolutely dominate Iron Chef. This is just such a spectacular episode. It's so incredibly smartly written. It's enjoyable watching it two times over because the twist recontextualizes everything Mm -hmm. before it. It is such an intelligent episode. And, of course, the euphemisms and the puns, they're not puns per se, but, you know, euphemisms for cannibalism are so smartly hidden in there and so obvious in hindsight that it just makes it such a thoroughly enjoyable experience both times. Because, again, it's just so smartly written. There's cinematography, and that is just a wonderful thing to have. Looking at a scene and thinking, this scene has a meaning. This Mm -hmm. camera is placed this way for a reason. And it's just top notch, like easily one of the best episodes of the series, Mm -hmm. not just the season. And I I will stand by that. This is easily one of the best episodes of the series. And I, if I'm going to throw this on the five stars rating too, five stars, and I totally agree with it. Mm -hmm. There is almost nothing detracting from this episode other than this series is not more readily available for other people to see. Because y'all need to see this episode. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, the only, like, real detractor is just that weird scene where they show her the playroom and she's just like, oh, my God, it's so great. And it's, like, dark. Like, that was ridiculous. But it matters so very little and like, the context like of the everything. It's, like, the smallest blemish on a gorgeous yeah, overall. Yeah, I mean, everything else in this episode is so insanely good that, that the straight-up doesn't even matter. It's, like, the, the tiny... It's, like, a nitpick, you know? It doesn't, yes. it doesn't really make a difference. Like, maybe she can see that arc. I don't know. So, this episode is, like, one of my favorites. Not my top favorite, mind you, but it is definitely one of them. So, Zachy, what is the next episode that we're going to watch? This one is an interesting one. This episode is called Snip Snip, and it is one of the weirdest premises I have ever heard for a show's episode, even in an anthology show. Like a Satan-worshipping school teacher loses the lottery he rigged with demons to a hairdresser, and he tries to steal the lottery ticket. It is such a weird premise. But it is so good. I love this episode. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't have as much warm feelings as you do about it. But I I think 
it's still a good episode. Yeah, there is just a scene in there near the end that is so bizarrely frightening. Like, not, like, scary. Like, oh, I'm not, af- I'm not afraid. But it's... It's intimidating. It's very intimidating. Coming out of this, like, really cute girl with this really kind of an odd voice. Yeah. I almost want to you know, say she kind she's of sounds voice like, like... Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Or, the or, movie, specifically. Not the Broadway show, the movie. Yeah, and it's like... And, and she has this scene, and she's actually terrifying. And it, But I, that's an episode for another time. Yeah. And I just want to sort of mention, too, we've really hit a nice little uh, rut of good episodes yes. here. And it's not it's gonna nice. last for too much long. Well, actually, I have to get back. It's gonna last for several episodes. There are some mediocre ones on the way, but we definitely needed it after the last good, two. <laughs> yeah, there are some good ones coming up. So I in my personal opinion, Snip Snip is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's really good. And we're we're getting close, guys. We're we're pretty much reaching the two-thirds mark of the season. Yes, we're more than halfway done with season one. And I that is just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So, Valina, where can you find us in this great delicatessen that we call the internet? Well, if you want to pick our brains, you can email us at thishousepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at thishousepodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us out immensely and it helps us find more viewers just like you. <laughs> That's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, since we're both fed up with people, get out of our house! Spare the piss for the time being. If you are free, my wife and I would love to have you for dinner.